Hello, my name's Christiana, and welcome to the Oceanside Community Church Podcast. We're a church in Parksville on Vancouver Island with a vision to be fully devoted children of God, fully mature in Jesus Christ, and fully alive with the Holy Spirit. We welcome you to join us weekly on this journey. For more information about our church, visit our website at oceansidecommunitychurch.ca or download our mobile app. We pray that you'll be blessed and equipped by today's teaching. Continuing on in our series out of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to hear that a lot throughout the summer. Hebrews chapter 11, we are specifically on verse 4, so please open up your Bibles. Uh, This is the sword, God's word is the sword, or if you use your Bible app, we can call it a lightsaber, right? And uh, the electronic version of God's word. Those who are online, good to be with you at whatever time you're watching it. Might be this morning or another time. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 is a short verse. It says this. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. And when God spoke well of his offerings... And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Quick, short verse to begin our sermon for this morning. I have in my office in Abbotsford at the Bible college that I work at, I have a wooden chest uh, that sits in the corner of my office that means a lot to me. And this wooden chest has nothing significant inside of it. It actually has stuff that people would probably consider like just extra waste. Like, you know how you have a junk drawer? It has turned into like the the junk treasure chest. And there's nothing special what's inside the chest. The material that the chest was made of is scrap wood and old leather and glue that's put it together and some nails. And it's not even that aesthetically pleasing But I love this chest because it was uh, my wife's late grandfather who built the chest and gave it to me. So Rebecca, my wife, her grandfather, uh, late grandfather is Pastor Harold Nettleton, and he pastored in Ladysmith just down the street for years and years and years. And as a young man who was going uh, through Bible college and training to become a pastor, I was dating his granddaughter. And so he was a man who spoke into my life when I was uh, a young, young adult. And he gave me lots of advice about pastoring. He gave me lots of advice about what ministry and what marriage would look like in the future for us. And gave me a lot of, like, firm warnings of how to treat his granddaughter properly. Uh, And lots of wonderful uh, words of wisdom, of knowledge, of affirmation in my life and prayer that I appreciate and I'm so grateful for. And so I have this treasure chest in my office as a way to uh, spark conversation with students that I have in my office. And so working at the Bible College, I'm a campus pastor, so I I pastor future pastors. And I had a pastor who pastored me when I was going through that training in Rebecca's grandfather. And the words that he said over my life, I used that treasure chest as a symbol, as an example, and a conversation starter to speak to the students that God has entrusted me with. And so the words of Pastor Harold Nettleton are still speaking today to these young adults who are in the Bible College at the moment. And so that concept of the words are still speaking is the same concept as what this passage is speaking in Hebrews chapter 4, sorry, chapter 11, verse 4. The words of Abel are still speaking today by the stories, by the character, and by the example that he showed are still speaking today. Now, the story of Abel is a 
bit more dramatic than that of the story of mine and Pastor Harold Nettleton and the students at Summit. The story of Abel is actually quite dramatic and quite tragic as we're going to go through it. Before we do, I want to give a bit of a recap. Last week, we began our series on Faith Is. We talked about how faith is a gift. We talked about how faith is our confidence, this deep, internal, humble assurance that we have within us. We talked that faith is not founded upon my ability to believe or my emotions or thoughts to conjure up belief, but my faith is founded upon the worthiness and the substance of the object in which we have faith in, such as the stool. The stool will support me, not because I have belief in it, but because I know and I trust the stool has the substance that I can sit on it and entrust it with my life. Same thing with the Lord. Because of his promises, his character, his virtues, his faithfulness is the foundation of my faith in him. That who he has shown himself to be, he will continue to be in my future. And so how do we know those promises? And how can we have faith and his promises. It's by reading and knowing his word. Amen? For faith comes from hearing the message of God. And we live by faith, not by sight. So would you time travel with me? Can we imagine that Oceanside is a DeLorean? That there is Marty McFly somewhere in this building? That there's Doc Emmett Brown, and it is precisely 10.04 p.m. on a Saturday night? Does anybody know the reference of the movie I'm using? Back, yes. We're going to go back to the past on this one. We're going to go back to the past and travel to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and let me read you the story of Abel. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, it says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of his soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was very downcast. The, the author of Hebrews starts with a bit of a peculiar story. Now, he goes chronologically through his lists of faith giants, and so that's why we're starting with Abel. But there's some big names in the list in Hebrews 11, names like Moses, names like Noah, names like Abraham, and these big pinnacle moments of history, that there's such depth and, and like backstory to each of these characters, and yet here he is starting with Abel, and we literally get two sentences of backstory for Abel. This is the only time in the Old Testament that the name Abel is mentioned. There's a few times in the New Testament, but only time is he referenced in the Old Testament. And you can see in the, the structure of the writing in verses 1 and 2 specific, there's, a, there's the backstory of Adam and Eve. They are now creating a family. God blessed them with a boy, Cain. And then God blessed them again with his younger brother, Abel. And they began their livelihood. Cain follows the footsteps of his old man and becomes a farmer of the ground. And he raises crops and produce. And Abel becomes a shepherd and cares for the, the livestock and the animals. And then there's in verse 3 this jump. 
right? We get two verses about the backstory of Cain and Abel. And then verse 3, it says, in some time, or exactly says, in the course of time. And the concept of in the course of time, we just, we just read through a sentence and just continue on. The concept of that in the course of time is like a massive, massive time lapse that we just kind of <laughs> miss as we just read through it. We're not going to go into logistics of the age that Adam and Eve would have been when they had Cain and Abel, but it would have been, you know, soon-ish after they were removed from the garden. But when they had Seth, their third son, that was 130 years from creation. And so there's the potential of 100-plus years from the moments that Cain and Abel were born to that of Seth, the potential of it. And so here's this time gap that all of a sudden now, as they were born, they're now adults, they have livestock, they have produce, and they're living their life. And what I also find interesting uh, is this development of this family. It's a beautiful family. But it ends in a bit of a tragic story. I'm going to ruin it for you by a death that takes place with one of the kids. Before we get to that, I do want to say, we're going to go through a couple responses that we see in this passage. The first response that we're going to look at is Abel's response. Faith today, this morning, sorry, may I, may I put uh, the title slide? I forgot to mention, faith is an offering this morning. We're talking about how our faith, we exemplify it in, in certain ways. Today's focus is an offering. So faith is an offering. And in faith's offering, we're going to look first at Abel's response in his offering. The boys brought an offering to the Lord. It says both boys brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought his offering. Cain brought his offering. Interesting enough, the Levitical law was not in place. There was, so there was no law requirement for someone to bring an offering to the Lord. It was not done so by law. This was done so by the morale of, of that God had created in them and most likely the parental teaching of Adam and Eve telling their boys, okay, we are blessed because of God's favor in our life. Yes, they made a poor decision, was banished, but they still had life, and they still had vegetation, and they still had family, and God blessed them with children. And so God's grace was upon them. And so they taught their young boys, we need to give back. We need to show generosity. We need to show that we give the resources that God gives us. We're going to return back to God. And so Adam and Eve would have taught their boys about offering, would have taught their boys about generosity, would have taught their boys about giving back. And so they both, they gave back. They both brought sacrifice of worship to God. Cain in his produce, Abel in his livestock, and it mentions that he brought the fat portions, which are essentially the best cuts, the choice cuts, the high quality. They both sacrificed but it says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Well, that's interesting. Why was Abel's offering looked favorably and Cain's was not? Was it because it was the best cuts? Was it because it was the fat portions? Was Cain's produce quality not good enough? Abel's quality was great. Maybe Cain's, maybe his vegetation was a little bit too ripe. Or maybe it was too green and it just wasn't the quality that God would want from an offering. Or maybe God is a carnivore and not a vegetarian. And so he liked Abel's offering more. I'm being facetious here. In the Hebrews passage, 
It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. So what was it about Abel's offering that was better than Cain's offering? Abel's offering was better not because it was his best cut, but rather his firstborn. In the passage, it says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock. So they both brought some. So it's not about amount, per se. They both brought some. It's not about the resource itself, because there's vegetation and produce, and then there's meat and livestock. So it's not about the resource, per se. It's not about the amount, per se. But Abel brought an offering out of faith. He brought an offering out of trust to the Lord. God, I rely on you, not on my resources. So I'm going to give you the first portion of my resources. The first paycheck. The first return. I finally got a return on my investment. I finally have a return on my hard work. But God, I'm going to give it to you first. And I'm not going to keep it to myself. God, I give you the beginning of all my resources because ultimately you are the one who resources me. And through that, Abel's offering was commended as good. It was commended as righteous. This is different than giving God just our best. Now, often our first is our best, but that's not the focus. It's not about the fat portions. It's not about the choice cuts. So it's not just what giving him our best. This is also different than giving God what we have left. So often there's times where, Lord, this is all I have left to give. Please take it. The Lord had no regard for Cain's offering. Cain gave out of his own self-righteousness what he thought was good enough. Cain gave out of his own standard of worship, not the Lord's. This is all I have, God. I need to make sure I take care of my stuff, and whatever I have remaining, I will give it to you. Oh, we're guilty of this. I've been guilty of this. I've been in seasons where I have been guilty of this. Whether we're talking about finances, whether we're talking about resources, whether we're talking about our time, like monetary value wouldn't have existed at this time, so it was their, what they would, you know, reap from the ground or from their livestock. Money is what, you know, runs and drives our resources today. But I've been guilty of this too at times. Where I say, Lord, I, I, need, I need to pay for this. I need to take care of this. Well, what about my kids? Well, what about this? Okay, God, I can give you this portion. And Cain gave out of his own standard of worship above God's. Is your relationship with God your first fruit? Or your remaining? Do you trust God by giving your first, believing that He is ultimately your provider? God, you know how much I have to do. I don't have much time. This is all I can give you for my time, it's just this quick, short few minutes. I've been in seasons where I've been guilty of this too, so this isn't me attacking. This is me receiving God's conviction. So Abel's response is he gave his first fruits. 
his first cut to the Lord. Cain's response, we've seen it a bit of it already. But what I find so interesting is what happens next with Cain in his response. So often we take our relationship uh, with the Lord and we kind of, um, you know, think about our relationship with our parents and it reflects our relationship with the Lord. And when we do something that displeases our parents, we think, oh, man, they're so angry at us, right? They're angry with me. They're frustrated with me because I disobeyed or I did something that didn't please them. My boys make fun of me, not when I'm getting after them, <laughs> when, when times are simple and easy and good. They will make fun of me and call me grumpy and make grumpy faces and blah, blah, blah. But internally, it's because I've probably showed frustration and grumpiness to them in certain times, and so therefore they return and make fun of me. And so often we do that with the Lord. We think, oh, if I'm not, if I'm not doing enough for him, or if, if I haven't pleased him, he's going to be angry at me. He's going to be frustrated at me. Who's angry in this passage? Cain is. Cain is the one who is angry in this passage. I find it fascinating Cain is very angry, it says, and his face is downcast. The Lord in his good character, ah, it's almost like frustratingly, like he's so perfect. It's almost humorous. When, when Cain gives a poor offering, the Lord doesn't look down upon with favor. Cain gets angry, and then what does the Lord do? He comes and he inquires and he asks him a question. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He did the same thing with Adam and Eve, right? To his parents. Why are you naked? Who told you that you were naked? Where are you? He comes and he inquires and he asks these questions. Jesus did the same with teachers, with Pharisees. All the time in the Gospels, he responds with the question. The Lord asks him, why is your face downcast? Are you in a season where you feel like you're giving and you're giving and you're trying and you're trying and it's frustrating and you may be angry and maybe spiritually downcast out of being expired, it feels like, in your faith giving? What question do you believe God is asking you today? What question do you believe the Lord would be asking of you? Why are you afraid? What fear is holding you back? What do you need to let go of today? I, I think we could all say we've been in seasons, and maybe you are in a season, where our faith offering isn't as ideal as what we would like it to be. And you've probably felt those spiritual moments of frustration, those spiritual moments of anger. God, what gives? This is all I've got. This is all I've got left in the tank. And we assume God may be angry with us. And God responds not with anger. So we want to look at what is God's response. We've looked at Abel's response of the first cuts. We've seen Cain's response of frustration and anger from his offering. What was God's response? God's response is this. He inquires, he warns, he convicts, and he gives grace. We see this in this passage here. Inquires, 
warns, convicts, and gives grace. So first he responds with those questions, right? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He inquires to Cain. And then he responds with a warning. So you can trust me in this latter section of chapter 4 that we're going to go through. I'm not going to read all of it. I think most of you know the story already, but we'll go through it here. The Lord says to Cain, you are to do what is right. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Like, like a wild animal, sin. It's like a tiger crouching at the door, ready to pounce, ready to devour. To take over is what sin desires to do to all of mankind. And he says, but you must master it. And unfortunately, Cain doesn't. You know the story, right? Cain invites his brother out into the field, and he kills his brother. He kills his brother, and his blood spills on the ground. The Lord comes again. What does he do? He asks a question. <laughs> he asks a question again. Where is your brother? Like he doesn't know these answers. Like the Lord doesn't know these answers. Of course he knows these answers. But in his goodness and in his mercy and in his kindness, he first questions and inquires. He warns Cain about sin. Don't let it overtake you. You must master it. He warns him. Unfortunately, he does not follow through with God's warning, and he kills his brother, and so God then convicts him. And he, just like his old man, puts a curse on him. Curses the ground in which that he is to work, that he wasn't going to produce uh, or any crop. And then he calls him a restless wanderer. Oh, I cannot think of, of something that would be of worse case than being called or experiencing that curse from the Lord as a restless wanderer. And I cannot help but think there may be some people in this room that may classify and identify themselves right now spiritually as a restless wanderer. Who is trying and who is trying and who is trying and giving, but just doesn't feel like their giving and their faith is enough, and the Lord is angry with them. But the good news is this yes, the Lord inquires, and yes, the Lord warns, and yes, the Lord convicts, but the Lord also gives grace like unmerited grace, grace upon grace upon grace. This situation here, he kills his own brother. And God's response and the gives grace is this. I can't believe it. It actually frustrates me. <laughs> but he's the one who's Lord and not me. He gives him protection. Cain's afraid that he's going to be killed. And that's got to be a tough family situation because it's only his family that's living on earth at that time, right? It's mom and dad. Uh, it's, there may have had, they may have had some daughters that wouldn't have been listed in there. And so it's really just immediate family that's on earth, and he's afraid he's going to be killed. And so God gives him protection. He says, no one's going to kill you. And then he provides Cain with land. And then he provides Cain with a spouse, and we don't need to get into details about that. Provides Cain with a spouse and family and lineage and generation after generation of kids and of wealth. God gives grace 
upon grace upon grace. Grace to the unmerited. Grace to the restless wanderers. Grace to those who do not deserve it or feel they don't deserve it or feel their offerings are not enough. God also gives grace to those who have been hurt by others. Adam and Eve were hurt by Cain. They murdered, he murdered their son. But they were given another son, Seth. Verse 25, it said, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Jerry, I'm going to invite your team to come on up. See, the Lord inquires with a question. The Lord warns about sin. He convicts our sin, which is a very good thing. And he gives grace upon grace upon grace to all people. He gives grace to the hurting. He gives grace to the undeserving. He gives grace to the mourning and to all those who call on the name of the Lord. He gives grace. And so by faith, Abel's offering still speaks today. Abel was a shepherd boy who lived a short life and had his blood shed when he was commended as righteous and he was commended as good, whose faith offering still speaks today. And I think of another shepherd who died. I think of another shepherd whose blood was spilled. I think of another son of Adam, another son of Adam, another firstborn lamb who did what was right, who lived the life that we could not live, who saw sin crouching at the door and the desire of sin over man, but who mastered it, who mastered it and defeated it, and that is Jesus. Jesus' offering not only still speaks, but still saves. Amen? Abel's offering of faith, Abel's life is a precursor to that of the life of Jesus. The offering that God gave his firstborn son, his first choice. Defeating sin and mastering it so that he would give us new life, a new covenant sprinkled by his blood. Would you stand with me this morning? Hebrews 12, 24 says this, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus speaks a better word. His blood, his life, his sacrifice, his new covenant speaks a better word over the restless wanderers, over our improper at times faith offerings of what we can just give. We're trying our best. The Lord wants to, he wants to give 
inquiries. He wants to question. He wants to warn. He wants to convict, but he wants to give grace. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the, the prayer teams. They're going to go to the, each corners of the front of the room here. But I'm also going to give an invite to any of you as well. Maybe you're feeling that restlessness in your spirit, that wandering of loss, and you would like to just make a step forward in your faith. We're going to open up the front here. We're, we're just going to provide an opportunity for you to respond. If you would like to come up to the front, you don't have. You could go to the prayer teams, please. They would love to pray with you. Or you could just come up to the front here and we'd love to pray over you. We believe that in our offering we are to give our first fruits, but it is also to affect our behavior. And so here's an opportunity for you to respond as you feel led. Let me pray for you and we'll open this up. Lord, thank you that you give grace upon grace to the unmerited, to the broken, to the hurting, to the mourning. To all those who call upon your name, you give grace. So Lord, as you've drawn us in by your word this morning, we bless you in our response. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or download our mobile app for more content. If you're in the area, we hope to see you soon. Until next time, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you as you live by His Spirit.